the Sacred Gyre Podcast, staying connected to your deepest values as you work for change. In Episode 4, I talked about one way in which living our values can be challenged on a personal level. I'll have more to say about that in the future, but today I want to talk about another side of this challenge. We are not isolated individuals, but deeply embedded in societies and cultures that are a part of how our values develop and change over time. Those societies and cultures also both support us in living our values and at times can be a source of pressure to not live by them. I would like to use an example from my own life. I have a job in healthcare helping to bring the voice of our patients into the conversations where we work to improve healthcare delivery. I love this work for many reasons. The people I've met who work in healthcare are really devoted to helping patients and their families stay healthy and to overcome health issues as they arise. Medicine is an ever-changing field, and we work hard to change so that we can continue to do this well. We call this person and family-centered care. It is a national movement in healthcare to involve patients in both the decisions about their personal care and in decisions about how to change the systems we set up to make that care possible. It is a culture change for the healthcare system we knew as late as the 1990s up until the turn of the 21st century. Inviting your patients into the room when you talk about making systemic improvements can feel like a vulnerable place. After all, you are including your customers into a conversation where you reveal your organization's flaws. I found my way into this job through the back door. I was an advocate for transgender healthcare starting back in 2010 because I needed gender-confirming surgery and had to pay it for myself like other transgender people, and Medicare and Medicaid were denying payment for these surgeries. This was particularly harmful to trans people from marginalized communities who more often have to depend on these government agencies for their health care. I was able to play a role in getting these denials overturned. One reason I was successful was a decision I made to assume that people who stood in the way of this change were well-meaning human beings, that they were doing the best they could given their circumstances. It was a challenge, but I am still happy about how I spoke and acted. Now that decision led to my being invited to serve as one of what is called a patient partner by the organization I now work for. This was a change for me. From being an advocate on the outside, I now needed to be willing to sit with healthcare staff working collaboratively to make systemic improvements. In my former advocate role, I put going anywhere I could find to push my agenda of overturning the prohibition on gender-confirming surgery at the top of my to-do list. As a patient partnering with healthcare staff, I needed to bring my training in mediation and group process more to the fore. The staff sitting in the room with me did not have access to infinite resources, 
and there are a lot of laws and regulations they live under that constrain what they can do in any situation. After two years as a volunteer, I was invited to help the manager of person and family-centered care create the role I currently work in. As an employee, I also spoke up at times about the importance of looking into the effects of any systemic changes on marginalized communities. There are times when well-intended changes in healthcare have unintended negative consequences on people who have been historically marginalized by society. I feel a moral obligation to do so because I believe that if we don't consciously make the effort, these old ways of marginalizing people will continue in spite of our good intentions. I'm also motivated by my training and experience in organizational change. I never forgot a story I read in a book or article by Chris Argyris. His consulting firm worked with a company to make changes that were prompted by several problems they faced. The work was completed in less time and with lower cost than they originally expected, and there was a dinner to celebrate this. At one point, Chris wrote, he was talking with some mid-level managers and asked them if they were surprised at the initiatives they had come up with, and they all said no, they knew about the problems for several years. The question arose of why they hadn't told their leadership about this situation before it became an expensive issue that needed outside consultants to help solve. That knowledge is a motivation for me. I want us to address issues as soon as we can, not wait until they become bigger problems. Now last year, I got a reflection from a colleague that it would be good if I was more thoughtful about the ways that I spoke up about these things, that at times I was in danger of turning people off. It really made me stop and think because I respect this person for the work they do and what they've achieved in their own life. It particularly caused me to reflect on the complex interaction of our personal and organizational selves. We humans are complex bundles of beingness that arise both out of the interactions with others in our immediate lives from birth until we go out on our own as adults, as well as our own individual expression of what it means to be a human being. Then we bring these complex selves to our workplaces and other organized gatherings and enter another world of complex interactions that include multiple levels of closer and more distant relationships and varying levels of authority. The larger the organization, the more complex the relationships most of the time. I come into healthcare from a history of social and political activism, and that affects how I react to what happens in my day-to-day -day work. Other people come from other backgrounds, and both the good work we all do and the mistakes we all make as individuals and as an organization come out of that complexity. I think we humans deserve a lot of credit for the way we ordinarily navigate these complex spaces, our minds are constantly scanning for awareness of how we affect those around us and scanning at the same time for our internal reactions to their reactions to what we say and do. Much of this goes on at a subconscious level. When I have spoken up in the past about the importance of bringing in voices from marginalized communities, it has to do with both my own life experience 
and the experience of people I've known who've lived through marginalization. I have an internal commitment to speaking up and to work with others to change the healthcare system so it no longer creates these disparities in care. As I learned over time from experienced group process professionals about why organizations often fail to do the right thing even when they have the best of intentions, it motivated me to speak up even more. But my current ability to understand the reactions of others depends on the extent to which I have personal relationships with them and is affected as well by the extent to which interpersonal interactions at work have been done mostly through video calls the last two and a half years due to the restrictions of the COVID crisis. When I first read my colleague's reflection, I felt a little embarrassed at first. Because of her role in our company, she knows people personally whom I don't and has a different worldview through which to experience how they are reacting as we all meet in larger groups online. It is humbling and a bit scary for me to think about what I see as my dual responsibility to speak out and to treat others in a way that invites them to react thoughtfully to what I am saying. As I said, healthcare is filled with people who aspire to do their best to help everyone live full, happy, and healthy lives. In my experience, these ongoing disparities where I work are not because of bad intentions. To the contrary, we all do our best given our circumstances. Yet we need to stay open to learning when our systems unintentionally create these disparities. I am still me, and I won't just give up my beliefs and my life experiences will continue to form the way I move in the world. But this is a reminder that, just like everyone else, I don't and cannot know everything. I have to be okay with doing the best I can given my circumstances, even as I held myself responsible in my days of activism to assume others were doing. I tried hard to treat them respectfully, even when I did not like how they responded to me, and I will hold myself with the same respect as I navigate this often confusing world we all have created together. This delicious challenge is one we all face, to be strong and confident in what we know and whom we are, and to stay humble in the fact that others know things we don't or have experiences we have not. All of our perspectives are needed if we want the changes we create in our work to live up to the values we profess to believe in. And that is what this podcast is about. Today, I use an example from my own life to illustrate this delicious challenge. If you see yourself as trying to navigate this challenge in your own work, I would love to have a conversation about what you have learned. I believe such a conversation put into a future podcast would help many others learn along with us. Thank you for listening. If you would like to receive notices about upcoming episodes, please sign up on the contacts page of Sacred Gyre.